0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us for the first time or first time in a couple of weeks, then I uh, just want to fill you in on where we are. We're in the middle of a series uh, in the book of Mark. And one thing that we've decided to do throughout this series is we're not going to go word by word and verse by verse because that would take a couple of years probably for us to actually get through the book. So what we're doing is we're just taking a chapter a week, and we're going to look at one chapter every week, just one story, one or two of the main things from each of those chapters. But we do believe that the Word of God is important. We believe it's important for you to read the entire book of Mark and to have, have an opportunity to have gone through it. So we have a reading plan that we've uh, set up for you. There's some in the back. If you want a hard copy, you can grab it. It's about five minutes a day of just reading uh, Scripture. And if you follow through, then by the end of the series, you'll have been through the entire book of Mark. You'll have been through a number of Psalms and a number of the Proverbs. So this is something that we're doing as a church. So you won't be on your own if you're in a community group. This is a great opportunity to be reading along, talking to each other about, hey, what is God showing you as you're reading it? Um, so I encourage you if, you, if you don't have one yet, pick up a hard copy in the back. You can always find it on our website uh, under the media tab, and you can find it there. So as we're reading through Scripture, as we're going through uh, hearing the Word of God on Sunday mornings, there's something that stood out to me this week as I prepared um, this, this section of Scripture in Mark chapter 4. And the thing that stood out to me is probably a phrase or a statement that you guys could help me finish. Um, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Yeah, some translations are a little bit different. It says, anyone who has ears to listen, let him hear. When we think about that, it's kind of a weird saying, right? Because I have ears and I can hear. Obviously, my eardrums are vibrating. Yes, Jesus, I hear your words. But... It means so much more than that. Because like we talked about last week, the Pharisees heard Jesus. They physically heard Jesus. They heard him teach. They saw him perform miracles, and yet they missed it. They missed it. They missed what God was saying, and they missed what God was doing. And so it's possible at times that that we can hear, but we're not really listening, right? If you've been married for any time at all, you know that that is absolutely true. You can hear, but not listen. in fact, um, my wife and I had a chance to go on a retreat this past weekend with pastors other pastors and their wives, and a portion of the weekend was uh, or three days was committed to communication and so we had some downtime, we had a chance to talk about communication and some of our expectations of each other and different things like that. Of course, um, she didn 't have any areas to work on uh, she 's perfect, but I had quite a few to work on myself but as we talked about it, you know, some of the things came up like, hey, I, I could use some more help in the evenings around the house doing housework. I know you're tired, but, but I could really use some help getting the kids ready for bed and doing some of these other things. And, and I said, you know, we, we've talked about this before. And uh, for me, I think it would really help if, if I had a list of what you, your expectations are. She's like, well, I've told you before. I said, no, no, no. I need a physical, like, written-down list. I'm a box checker, man. I am a box checker to the nth degree. I am task-oriented. If you put a list of stuff in front of me, you will either find it done or me dead trying to get it done, right? And so when I come home uh, Wednesday evening, there on my desk is a list, right? So before, she had told me, and I, I didn't listen. I didn't hear. But now that I've got my list, I hear. She's speaking my language. She's talking to me. You know, God does the exact same thing. When he speaks to us, he speaks to us right where we are. Funny thing, one of the things on the list said, fold clothes while watching TV. Um, And so I asked, well, if I don't watch TV, does that mean I don't have to fold clothes? Uh, That would be an example of not hearing, not listening to what she's asking you to do. But it it really is amazing how often... uh, We find ourselves hearing but not listening, right? We don't really hear what the person is saying. And the same thing is true with God. Oftentimes, we'll read his word and we won't hear it. Something distracts us. But it's amazing to me because God speaks to us so personally when he speaks. He speaks to us on our level. He meets us right where we are, right where you are this morning. God wants to speak to you. I can't tell you the number of times that someone's grabbed me in the hallway sent me an email or given me a phone call, and they're like, man, when you said this in the sermon, that was really speaking to me. That hit me hard. And I start thinking back about what I said and looking through my notes. A couple times I've even gone back and listened to the message, and it's like, you know, I, I said something, you know, similar to that, but that wasn't the point I was making. And what happens is that something struck a chord with them from, from Scripture, from the Word of God, and they hear it, And it strikes a chord and God speaks to them, even though it's not what I said, they hear exactly what God wants them to hear. And so this morning, I just want us to pray that that we would have ears to hear, that we would be able to listen. I just want us to take some time and ask God to make our hearts receptive to the Holy Spirit, that we would hear his word this morning. Because I do believe that God has something to say to each and every one of us. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come before you now, and we want to take this time. We want to, Lord, just open our hearts that we would be receptive to your word. Any distractions, thoughts of work, or things that we have to do when we get home, homework, whatever it is, God, that you would just remove those and allow us to hear directly from you as we continue on this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, and what we're going to see in the first part of Mark chapter 4, the first couple verses, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 20 this week, and Jesus is going to tell uh, his first parable in Mark, and I would argue that this is the most important parable that Jesus lays out in the book of Mark. It's the most important teaching parable-wise that Jesus lays out, because it, it demonstrates to us how we are to relate to God and how God relates to us. It's a very, very powerful uh, parable. And so I want us to look this morning at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, And he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat and sat down uh, on the sea and sat down. So again, we see Jesus has a large crowd. We've been seeing this crowd build over the past few weeks, that there are people who are coming to see Jesus and hear him teach you would want to hear him too. He taught with authority, not like the other teachers of the day. He performed miracles. He was healing people. He was doing mighty and miraculous things, and he was teaching with all authority. And so it's no wonder that people are flocking out to see him. So many people come that... Again, he's there by the sea, must be one of his favorite places to be out there by the water, nice breeze coming across, uh, and he's out there by the sea, and the people begin, begin to press in, and he's backing up, backing up, and so he finally gets in a boat so that the people don't overwhelm him and crush him, and he begins to teach him. It says this, it says, while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea, he, he taught them many things in Parables. And his teaching, he said to them, all right, so there, very quickly, you have Mark's introduction to the idea of a parable. He just says he taught them in parables, and that's all the introduction to the parable that you're going to get from Mark. Here's what a parable is, if you don't know. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So we think about this in preaching terms, where we might use an illustration or teaching terms, where we might use an illustration or a story to make a point. Jesus is going to use a parable. He's going to tell a story of something that the people would have been able to relate to in order to make a point about God's kingdom and the way we relate to God. It says this in in verse 3, and I'm going to read this completely uninterrupted, this entire parable. It says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Then he said to him, said to them, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. This is a culture that is very familiar uh, with the agricultural practices. This story that Jesus is telling would have hit home with all of these people. In fact, I can imagine them being there on the shore, and as Jesus begins to talk about the sower, perhaps off in the distance on a hill, they can see a farmer with his little bag slung over his shoulder, and he's just taking seed and scattering it indiscriminately. They could have seen this firsthand. Many of them had probably done it themselves. This is a very familiar story to them. And they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about as far as scattering the seed. But Jesus doesn't explain the parable. He doesn't give the meaning of the parable. He simply says, he who has ears, let him hear. Anyone who has ears to listen, let him hear. We're just kind of here. He just kind of leaves that parable floating out there. Now, how many of you have actually heard this parable before? Maybe you didn't even grow up in church and you're familiar with it. This is, this is a, one of Jesus' most famous parables. There's been a lot of writing on this parable. And in fact, some even secular writing on this parable. And it's even inspired a number of pieces of art. In fact, the most famous is Van Gogh's painting called The Sower. And you have this image of a man casting his seed, walking along. My wife loves Van Gogh. And you can even see he's, he's included the birds who are stopping to catch the seed that fell on the hard ground. It's a famous parable. You don't have to have been in church your whole life to have heard it, but how many of us really understand just in hearing the parable what Jesus is talking about? Not many. Well, don't worry. You're in good company because Jesus' own disciples didn't understand. In fact, this is what happens. It says, when he was alone with the twelve, those who were around him asked him about the parables. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. We're going to stop there for just a second. So Jesus leaves the crowd. He's done teaching, and he goes off, and he's walking away, and his disciples begin to follow him. I imagine that there were probably some other than the 12 who came around. They were so intrigued by what Jesus said, and they hadn't fully understood that they decide that they're going to follow Jesus. And what we're going to see next is kind of a confusing section here because Jesus is going to draw some parallels between himself and the prophet Isaiah. The next thing that we're going to read is is where Jesus draws some parallels between his ministry and the ministry of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet um, who delivered a message to the nation of Israel who was about to be conquered and destroyed. In fact, it was to the tribe of Judah. And in a similar way, they didn't hear. They didn't listen to what Isaiah had to say. And so in verse 11, it says, He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may look and look, yet not perceive. They may listen and listen, yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Jesus and Isaiah are in very similar situations. They're in similar situations. You see, Isaiah, God comes to him and says, look, you are going to go and deliver my message to the people, but they are not going to listen because their hearts are hard. They won't hear you. In fact, when you do preach my message, it's going to drive them further away. It's going to push them further and further away from me. And we've seen this exact same thing happen With the Pharisees, right? Last week we saw Jesus is in the the synagogue and he heals the man with the withered hand. And some who are there and they witness Jesus' power, they witness his teaching, they decide they're going to devote their entire lives to him and they begin following him. Yet in that same crowd, witnessing that same miracle, hearing the same teaching, were a group of people who decided that they must destroy Jesus. They missed it. They couldn't hear because their hearts were hard. Now, imagine being Jesus. Imagine being Jesus, and you've got your top 12 guys. Like There's been a group of followers, and he narrows it down to these 12. These are the cream of the crop, the top 12 guys, and he brings them in to his inner circle, and he just lays out this teaching. And they don't understand it. They don't get it. How frustrated would you be that that they don't get it? Here they are, and uh, he says that that the outsiders uh, aren't going to understand. So everything comes in parables. Insiders have heard the secret. Jesus says, look, I'm giving you the secret of the kingdom. Now, when we read this word secret or mystery in Scripture, what we have to understand is that it doesn't mean something that's unknowable or unknown completely, the word secret means something that is veiled in the past that is now revealed. Okay, so it's something that was previously unknown that has now been made known. And Jesus is saying, look, this secret that I'm giving to you is the secret that God has entered the world. He has entered into humanity and is relating to man in a completely new way. And by the way, I, I am God's entry into humanity. It's the whole point that Jesus is making here yet they miss it. Whereas insiders hear this secret and they believe, outsiders hear it and they perceive it as a threat. So they end up with unbelief. So what is the difference between an insider and an outsider? Let's look at verse 13. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? So Jesus Comes along and his disciples follow after him and they're like, Look, we don't get it. And Jesus is probably thinking, God, I, I just threw out the secret of the kingdom. I, I gave out your knowledge, your insight, and these people that are supposed to know better, these, these 12 guys, it completely went over their heads. These 12 doofuses, these 12 lunkheads completely missed it. How is it possible? In fact, <clears throat> he uses two words here. For understand. It only comes across as understand one word in English, but there's two different words that Jesus uses. He says, Don't you understand this parable? And when he first time he says understand, he's using a word saying, Can't you intuitively comprehend what I was talking about? Like you've been with me this whole time and you still don't understand what I'm talking about. And then he says, if you don't understand that, if you can't intuitively comprehend my teaching, how will you understand? the other teachings, the other parables. Like, parable of the sower is parable 101. If you don't get the parable of the sower, how are you ever going to get the parable of the fig tree? And so he uses another word for understand, which means to understand by experience. If you can't comprehend what I'm saying, having been around me, how will you ever understand it when you actually experience it? Yet Jesus doesn't leave them hanging like this, he says, look, so what's the difference between an insider and an outsider? Well, we know the answer to that because we read it earlier. Look back with me at verse 10. When he was alone with the 12, those who were around him asked about the parables. The difference between an insider and an outsider is that the insider asks in honesty and humility, That's the only difference. The Pharisees, the disciples, they heard the exact same parable. They heard the exact same teaching. They saw the exact same miracles. And when the the disciples heard it, they scratched their heads and thought to themselves, I don't quite get it, but I'm gonna follow God. I I follow Jesus, and I'm gonna ask him what he meant because I want to know. I'm intrigued. The insider inquires. With honesty and humility, they come before Jesus and and there's no pretentiousness, there's no acting um, like they've got it all figured out, yet the Pharisees have the opposite response. I'm sure they listened, they nodded their heads, "Mm mm-hmm, mm, good teaching, Jesus, yet they didn't understand. Maybe they even got frustrated that here I am, a teacher of the law, and I have no clue what this man is talking about and their pride would not allow them to do the one thing that that you and I probably wouldn't do when we were in third grade sitting on the back row, right? We don't want to raise our hand and say, "Uh, I don't get it, right? Because if you don't get it, people are going to think that you're stupid or that you weren't paying attention or, hey, this guy belongs on the back row, Some of us actually do, but uh, we don't want people to think that we don't get it. The Pharisees' pride would not allow them to ask Jesus, to seek to understand. Now, not all of them were this way. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Even though he came to Jesus at night for fear of the other uh, Pharisees, he still comes to Jesus and he has an honest, humble conversation with him where he asks him, Questions. He asks him about his teaching. So Nicodemus moves from being an outsider to an insider because he asked with honesty and humility, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you an insider? Before you answer that, what you need to understand is that being an insider doesn't mean that you know how to take Communion. Being an insider doesn't mean you know where to sit when you come in on Sunday morning. Being an insider doesn't mean that you know how to find the book of Mark. Anyone with an index can find the book of Mark. Being an insider means that you are following Jesus Christ in humility and honesty and asking to understand his word more and more. How is your level of inquiry? How is your level of inquiry? Are you interested in what God has to say? Are you willing to carve out five minutes of your day to dive into his word and digest parts of it? Are you pursuing a relationship with God that goes beyond the surface? Well, the great news is, even if right now you feel like an outsider, that Jesus tells us exactly what we need to do. We need to pursue with honest integrity, humility, Ask the questions. Pursue Jesus Christ. He will answer. He will answer. The second question that, that I want us to answer this morning is about the soil. right? Mark lays out four different kinds of, of soil here through Jesus' parable. And there's only one good kind of soil: the fertile soil that produces a multiplying crop. So how do we become that soil? Let's look at how Jesus explains this parable, starting in verse 14, because we know that, that just going to church isn't enough to make us good soil, right? Can we all admit that? That it's not enough just to say, I go to church. It's not even enough to say, well, I read my Bible. That does not make us fruitful, profitable soil. How many of you know people, and don't raise your hands, how many of you know people that that They've been in church their whole lives, yet they're still as angry and spiteful and messed up as the day they walked in. Some of us are that way. We, we're still dealing with the same problems that we walked in with all those years ago, right? That's, that's not the mark of fertile soil. So what is it that makes us fertile soil? For some of us, we're, we're still the unfertile soil, right? Right? Maybe we think, well, I read my Bible, I come to church. But really the only difference between us and the outsiders is that, hey, we know where we're going to be at 10. For some of us, it's more like 10, 20. But we know where we're going to be on Sunday morning. Right? How do we become that fertile soil? Let's look at verse 14. Jesus says this. The sower sows the word. All right, let me stop right here because this is very important. Many people have taken this parable and applied it to salvation, applied it to people who have salvation. But Jesus very clearly is making the point, this is not about salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. It cannot be taken from you, no matter what. Jesus says, the sower sows the word, right? This is the word of God. This parable is about your receptiveness to the word of God. Not about whether or not you can or cannot lose your salvation. We know from Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith and that this is a gift of God. It is a work that God does in us. Amen? Amen. We can do nothing to earn it. Amen? So if we can do nothing to earn it, then it makes sense that we can do nothing to remove it from ourselves. Right? You follow on that? Not only that, but I I don't know about you, but to me, it would seem like an incredibly weak God who could save someone and then lose them. I don't want to worship a God that's that weak. This is not about salvation. This is about our receptiveness to the Word of God. He goes on and he says, The sower sows the Word. These are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the Word sown in them. So what is Jesus talking about here? What Jesus is talking about is when you hear the word, when you hear the word of God and the enemy comes and takes it away from you. The enemy comes and replaces the truth of God's word with half-truths and lies. Half-truths and lies. Now, how many of you this last week kept a note card? How many of you kept your note card and you were keeping tallies of how often you were judgmental or... um, very judging against the people around you. Anybody? Anybody keep one? This is mine. As you can see, it's full. Um, this is just from Monday. Uh, kidding. Uh, I wish. Uh, anyways, how many of you did this? How many of you did it mentally? Like you made that check mark mentally, like, oh, wow, I, I can't believe I'm judging. And, and how many of you, as you did that, felt like, oh, God must not love me very much because I'm judging. I must be a bad person because I'm judging. Right? How many of you did that? Now, when you did that, how many of you made a mark on your own card? Not many of us, right? But we should have. Now, this is my card, and, and I'm sure, uh, those of you who kept a card, I'm sure that yours is worse. Uh, now I've got to make another mark. <laughs> Here we go. But we all have that tendency to do that. We all have that tendency to judge and to 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 think that, well, if God just, if I do this, then God won't love me. God must not love me when. God must not love me if. And these are lies from the pit of hell. There is a lot of bad theology out there, and most of it is in the church among believers. We feel like God is only happy with us when we do certain things. Now, this isn't to say that our works don't matter because they do. We need to seek to honor God in every area of our life. What scripture calls sin, we need to call sin and we need to avoid it as much as possible. But, when we do sin, we need to cling to the biblical truths. Here's here's number one under I can be fertile soil by, I can be fertile soil by building my understanding on biblical truths instead of half-truths and lies. We want to be sure that when we are faced with this situation where the enemy is coming and whispering in our ears, that we're building our lives around biblical truths, not the half-truths, not the lies that the enemy tries to whisper in our ears. When we do that, we become fertile soil. The second section here, verse 16, Jesus describes the rocky soil. He says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. So what Jesus is saying here is, is that the problem is not with the seed. The problem is that they don't have roots. Now, some of you have not been in church for many years. You're coming back to the church for the first time in a number of years. Maybe you never grew up in the church. What you need to know is that right now, your roots are shallow. Maybe you've been in the church your whole life, and for the first time, you're engaging in your relationship with God. And right now, your roots are shallow. And that's okay. It takes time to develop the deep roots. It takes time. But here's what we need to be aware of, is that when we have those shallow roots... When we have those shallow roots, that there is opportunity for trouble and persecution. What does he mean by that? Anything out of the ordinary. Trouble or persecution. Anything that's out of the ordinary. It may be a financial burden. It may be uh, something comes up at work. It may be related to a relationship. But anything that's going to come and bring that trial or persecution in your life, when you have those shallow roots can cause the word of God to wither up inside of you and immediately you just go back to your old ways. Let's be honest with each other. How many of you, when you're faced with a trial or temptation, often find yourself going back to old ways? Anybody besides me? You find yourself immediately running back to, because I know this is comfortable. I know it doesn't work, but it's comfortable, right? We're slow to forget. So how do we, how do we not end up with shallow roots and stay in the rocky soil? Well, first, we have to closely guard... My faith in times of trouble or persecution. Closely guard my faith in times of trouble or persecution. It's how we become fertile soil. And we do this by reminding ourselves of the truths. Not what we think, but what we know. When we begin to think, oh, God doesn't love me because I'm so judgmental, we reflect back on the fact that God does love us. He loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ. And we reflect on that truth instead of the lie. So there's a couple ways to do this. The first one is this, that um, bad things are going to come. Bad things are going to happen. These, these relationships are going to happen. We're going to face these trials and in, in tribulations and struggles. But we closely got our faith in two ways. We do this when we lean on what I know rather than what I think. That's the first one, right? Relying on the truth of the word of God. And the second one is this, that you would lean on others who are more spiritually mature. That you would find someone else and say, look, I can see you've got some deep roots. My roots are shallow and I feel like I'm beginning to be scorched by the world. I'm being scorched by this situation. I need, I need you to speak some truth in my life. I don't know where to find it. I don't know what the Bible even says about this. I need you to speak truth into my life. I need to borrow some of your faith. I need to borrow some of your knowledge and insight into the Word of God. So not only are we leaning on the truth of the Word of God, we're leaning on those who are more spiritually mature. When we do this, that allows us to be sustained long enough for our roots to dig down deeper and deeper. The next next type of soil he describes there in 18 says, others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, seduction of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Did you hear that? Other things enter in, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, we don't know anything about this soil. Apparently, it's, it's good soil, because other things are able to grow there, Right? We don't know anything about how deep the roots are. How many of you have ever seen a garden that is completely overgrown? How many of you uh, we're getting ready to move into a new house and I'm just praying that our neighbors are good at keeping up their yard. Like I'm a huge yard guy. Like I love nice green grass, no weeds in the flower bed. I love that. And so I'm praying that I don't have that that neighbor, you know, whose yard is overgrown and they've got nice plants in there but you just keep seeing the weeds get taller and taller and taller. Before long, there's no more plants, there's only weeds. We all know that. If you're not careful, if you don't tend to it, then the weeds will overtake it. They'll choke it out. And he tells us exactly what the weeds are in our lives. The thorns, as some translations say, it'll choke out our understanding of the Word. The things that Jesus mentioned here, he starts out by saying the deceitfulness, the seduction of the age, the worries of this age. So worry, number one, is one of the things that can choke out the things that God has for us. It begins to choke out that plant that's growing inside of us. Next, he says, the seduction of wealth and the desire for other things. Seduction of wealth. Notice he doesn't say wealth itself, but the seduction of wealth. Many people know this. And when you have, you just desire more, right? Right? You find yourself, oh, I've, I've got all these needs met. What about now all my wants? How many of you guys already know where your money's going? You know how it's going to be spent before you even have your paycheck. Some of you men in here have your next TV in your Amazon basket, and you're just waiting for your tax return uh, to hit send button. <laughs> Matt, thank you. <laughs> Right? We all do this. We, when we have, we just want more. We desire more. And so he says, look, don't be distracted by the, dis, the deception, the deceitfulness of wealth. What happens is, especially in an area like Georgetown, listen, I, I know there are some here who are struggling to live paycheck to paycheck, and there's some who are even worse off than that because you're out of work right now. There is no paycheck coming. And I, and I get that. It's easy to depend on God, in my opinion, it's easier to depend on God in those situations than when the paychecks are flowing. The money's coming in because what happens is we begin to believe that, well, I don't need God. I've got my paycheck to see me through the end of the month. And we get distracted by this deceitfulness of wealth and we we find ourselves underdependent or completely independent from God. We easily forget that everything comes from him. We just have this tendency to be self-sufficient. We all, from the time we're like able to walk, we just want to do it myself. When I was a kid, my mom would would try to get me to tie my shoes, and I could barely talk, let alone tie my shoes. I just didn't have the motor skills. Uh, And I would say, Charlie, do it. I do it. I do it. Like I just wanted to do it myself. Like leave me alone, woman, let me do it. We all have that tendency for self-sufficiency and we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't miss it and let that choke out the word of God in our lives. Because when we start to worry about those things, when we start to think about those things, do you realize that when you worry, you put yourself on the throne of God? Do you realize that? When you start to worry, it's as if you're saying, look, God, I I know you're in control. It doesn't really look like it right now, so why don't you give me the wheel? Why don't you let me fly this plane for a while? And we put ourselves in the place of God. But there's one last type of soil, one last type of soil, soil in verse 20. It says, "But the one sown on good ground are those who hear the word and welcome it and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown." Catch this. This good soil the fact that it's reproducing 30, 60, 100 times, that's not meant to be miraculous. That's meant to be normal. That's normal of good soil. We, we've got some strawberry plants our kids got for their second birthday. And uh, last year, at the beginning of the year, we had them in the wrong kind of soil, and they didn't produce much fruit. And the fruit that they did produce was kind of sour, sour strawberries, by the end of the summer, we had adjusted the, the soil pH and everything, all that good stuff. If you're a gardener, then you know about all that stuff. So we adjusted the soil, and by the end of the summer, we had big, fat, red, juicy strawberries. Because the soil conditions were good. And every day, we'd go out there, and it seemed like there were more and more strawberries from these three little bitty plants. I can't tell you how many strawberries we collected. It's not miraculous... For us to be multiplying, that should be the norm. That should be the norm. Let me ask you, what will you do this week to become the good soil that Jesus describes here? What will you do this week to hear the word and welcome it, as he says? Because God wants to produce a garden in your life. God wants to produce a garden in your life. He wants to produce fruit like joy. Love, peace, faithfulness, kindness, God wants to produce all of these things in your life, but our our soil, our hearts have to be receptive. It's no coincidence to me that after Jesus tells this parable, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, He who has the right heart condition, let them hear and understand. Jesus' point is about preparing your hearts to hear and receive the word of God. Something is going to be changing inside of you as you hear it. The word of God will change you as you hear it, and people around you will notice. And they'll say, wow, something is changing in Charlie. Something is changing in John. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But I've got to find out more. Are you multiplying as a crop? Are you in good soil? Which one of these soils best describes you? And what will you do this week to become the good soil? What will you do this week to become the good soil? Some of you are looking at your bulletins there and you notice that I missed number three. And uh, if you're anything like me, it will drive you insane if you don't have the answers. So let me say this. Number three there, the third way that we become fertile soil is by pursuing heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. Pursuing heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. What will you do this week to become fertile soil? What will you do this week to be a multiplying crop? Maybe some of us feel like, hey, I, I, I'm good, I'm, I'm the good soil, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm getting the deeper roots. Let me ask you this. Maybe it's time for the soil to become the sower and begin scattering the seed so that it will multiply. Recognizing that some of that seed is going to fall on the hard path. Some of it's going to fall on the rocky ground. Some of it's going to fall on people whose hearts are hard. But some of it will fall on good soil. We're not responsible For people's response. We're just responsible for delivering the message. What will you do this week to become good soil, to become multiplying? Let's pray. Father, we pray that our hearts would not be hard, that we would be able to hear from you. We pray that you would keep us from being distracted by the lies and half-truths that the enemy tells pray that you would keep us from being scorched by trouble or persecution or even being distracted by the worries of this world, deceitfulness of wealth. Lord, we pray that you would cultivate in us a good soil that is receptive to your word, that we would be able to multiply, see more men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.